Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Gene Poole, and there's a little Gene Poole in all of us. Uh, this is my fourth podcast, and uh, it's about me. <laughs> Okay, so um, I'm going to pick up where I left off uh, in the last episode. I was living in Chicago, and uh, I had a practice space at Lemoyne and Western in an old Illinois Bell training center. And um, I was a pretty much big environmentalist. There was no recycling in Chicago, but there was one place on North Avenue where they would take bottles and cans. So uh, this was a huge building full of all these bands, 11th Dream Day. Um, and in the basement was a band called Family Problem. And uh, that's how I got to meet them because I would go around and collect their beer cans and bottles and stuff. You know, I don't 30 years later, I made a record with uh, Patrick O'Grady, uh, a family problem, and he's still a big influence on my poetry and guitar playing and everything. So uh, at the time, I I had decided, like when I moved to Chicago in 1983 uh, with Diane Christensen, we lived in Pilsen, and uh, she would have these big soirees and I met a guy named David Jackson, and at the time I was trying to make a bicycle that would play the drums when you ride it. And uh, so that was one of my first conversations with David Jackson, and we ended up starting a band called Hand to Mouth. And it was a, our, the place we played at just numerous times was physical, Phyllis's musical in, and um, so I, I ended up making this bicycle that plays the drums when you ride it. <laughs> the other thing I did, uh, I got an Illinois Arts Council grant, and um, I was able to do a musical at Randolph Street Gallery and called um, A Day in the Life of Life, and that went over really well, and I also, with that money, uh, I grew 37 live grass suits and had like a parade to Grant Park. And the other thing I did with that money was I, I built a car uh, carpool. I cut out the roof of a station wagon and built a floor at the bottom level of the windows and filled it up with a ton and a half of water and a hundred goldfish. So uh, 
that was a very productive grant. <laughs> so I moved to New York City um, with my soprano sax player, Sasha Sumner, in September of 89. And um, fairly soon I ended up, uh, Charles Mingus's daughter calls me and uh, she's working with a photographer for Rolling Stone called Mark Seliger. And uh, so I go over there and um, Charles Mingus's daughter was completely unassuming, had no aspirations for music. She just wanted to have a family and everything. I thought that was kind of cool. So I go over to Mark Seliger's and he's doing a shoot with uh, Michael Richards from Seinfeld. And his idea is to make this huge pair of pants like um, that had fish swimming in them. So uh, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> and I go and I buy the waist. I buy a pair of pants that is 72. The waist is 72. And I spent three days day and night building these pants so that they could have fish swimming in the like like the top of the pants you know and so we go to the shoot um can i just say i had no idea about seinfeld at the time i i had no idea what a huge sensation it was uh, but i was soon to find out so we go we're in Central Park, and uh, Michael Richards is going, you know, he sees the pants, and he's like, ah, that's not for me. And he names some other comedians that it would be good for. And um, he, he, he basically doesn't want to do it. And so Mark Seliger says, you see that skinny guy over there on that bench? He spent the last three days building these pants. I think you should give him a chance and and wear them. So... <laughs> By this time, it's not fish in the top of the pants. It is ducks. And the duck trainer had gone to lunch. So <laughs> we're shooting, and the ducks are going crazy, and they're splashing water in Michael Richards' face. And, and I had not put, like, feet on this thing. So it was, like, sinking into the ground. So I was running in and putting, trying to put sticks under the feet, you know, to... Oh, man, it was crazy. And um, so the thing about Mark Seliger, uh, he's sh shot many covers for Rolling Stone. Um, if a thing is not just dead on perfect, he's not going to use it. He does a, a photo shoot like other people do, like a movie set. You know, everything is nailed. Anyway. So we do that, and uh, can I just say how huge Michael Richards is? <laughs> like his waist is is probably like four feet off the ground, you know, and he's dressed impeccably. Like my goodness! So uh, I had made this, I had made this briefcase, a plexiglass briefcase that had goldfish swimming in it and um so he, michael richards sees that briefcase and um he's like oh i, I want to work with that 
so they they borrow someone's basset hound and uh so he's got he's like crossing the street near central park and uh with this basset hound the briefcase then they they took out the basset hound part of it and so that's what appeared in uh rolling stone was this goldfish briefcase michael richards needs a ride to his hotel and i have my press kit right there on the dashboard and so he goes through my press kit and um he says i'm I'm going on the tonight show with jay leno uh in two days you know maybe we can come up with something and we started talking about this was his idea like a suit that had little cars like it was like a highway suit like had little like matchbox cars driving on it and stuff and um you know, we kicked around a few ideas, and then I dropped him off at his hotel. And uh, I had a gig that night with my can suit, and but I wrote down thirty-three different ideas for him, and then I dropped him off that night at his hotel, and they never gave them to him. So not to be undaunted, I got I talked to Mark. I got his like um, agents number and i faxed the ideas to them but at that point it was just like okay so <laughs> what he does on the tonight show <laughs> this guy is uh, is one of our greatest physical comedians you know uh, bar none he bends over at the waist and he's picking up lint off of the carpet <laughs> you know like <laughs> it was hilarious <laughs> So uh, the other thing I did with Mark Seliger was a, a Leonardo DiCaprio shoot. So I saw What's Eating Gilbert Grape, and I'm a gullible sort. I thought he was, <laughs> I thought he was retarded. <laughs> so <laughs> I show up at the shoot. I had just been in Paris on a show called um, Canal Plus. And I met the band uh, Jamiroquai. And so uh, I tried to talk to Leonardo about Jamiroquai because I guess he was he was playing it. And uh, he shut me down pretty quickly. And so then I, I'm the one who goes out and gets a six-pack of Schlitz <laughs> for him to drink during the shoot. And um, so... Mark had been experimenting with uh, like the idea of tar and feathering um, Mr. DiCaprio, you know. And uh, so I got this uh, surgical adhesive, you know. And the day before, we had um, experimented on me, like sticking this adhesive on my face and uh, putting feathers. Um, I had made a feather suit. Uh, so I had a, a lot of feathers in every color. So here's what happens. We're at the shoot and um, uh, there's, Mark says to him, okay, you can do what we want and it'll be a big fancy photo in Rolling Stone or we can do what you want and it'll be a postage stamp size photo. <laughs> so he's not into the tar and feather thing. But uh, I had all this glue on my face, 
you know, and I couldn't get it off. There's like a special solvent that gets the glue off your face. So I went back to Central Park and Mark was doing a um, a photo shoot uh, that he consulted me on. And it was this, with this guy. Uh, he has a late night talk show now. Um, anyway, I can't remember his name. So I go up there and they finally get the adhesive off of my face. And um, so we're at this shoot and his, uh, Leonardo, his handler, you know, was this woman and she was just, I don't know, real obstinate, I felt. And uh, so instead of putting feathers on him, we, uh, I am on a ladder dropping different colored feathers in front of him, right? And so I drop, I drop yellow feathers, right? And then uh, I drop blue feathers. And then I'm dropping fuchsia colored feathers in front of him. And his handler's like, no fuchsia, no fuchsia. They did not want anything that would construe that he was even 1% gay. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how that went <laughs> oh boy one other thing I did with Mark uh, he called me up and he said uh, are you stoned <laughs> like, no no uh, and he's like well come over to the studio and um, talk about this shoot with us for uh, Drew Barrymore. And so uh, I run over there and it, it was not one of my best moments and I'm not gonna go into it, but I had some wild ideas. <laughs> and then he kind of reined it in. He said, well, let's talk about, you know, doing like some uh, lingerie or something in, in live grass. So I ended up making a grass bikini for Drew Barrymore. And um, I was in Texas, and uh, I had someone actually grow it for me. I started it, and then I came back, and uh, I was doing the big art car parade uh, in Texas. So I come back, and uh, we, we're out there in the suburbs, and um we're trying to do like a backyard scene with the the grass bikini and I meet Drew Barrymore and she's cool as shit. She's just really genuine and very into, you know, I gave her my postcards and stuff. And so, uh, it didn't work out that day because, um, it was going to rain. And Mark said, you know, should we just save this bikini? for another time and I made the call but here's a funny thing that they had this woman who was doing all these flowers for the shoot <laughs> and I'm like I got a much better flower person <laughs> that girl's not that good it was his sister <laughs> oh my goodness so the next day Mark gets uh he has sod uh all this sod placed in his studio and this is in Soho and a picket white picket fence 
and um, his ideas like um, that Drew Barrymore is holding this baby and smoking a cigarette, but in this grass bikini, right? So um, here's what happened. Like they're saying like, oh, uh, come into the dressing room and help her with her bikini. I'm not going to go too deep into that part of it, but um, so she's out there. This baby is crying, you know, she's smoking a cigarette and she's behind this like little white picket fence. Mark is someone who I may have said this already. He doesn't do anything that's not dead on perfect. You know, every one of his covers is like, <sighs> so um, I'm helping uh, with these other shoots that, that he had, they had like five separate shoots with her. And so suddenly I'm on the roof of this building and she's in a, like a space costume. There's a spaceship and, uh, two little dogs in space suits. And, um, I, I was the guy who was, uh, made the spaceship and all this stuff. <laughs> I helped him out. He needed some batteries or something. I ran and got them. And so then I'm working this fog machine on the roof of this building for the shoot. And so like every so often they go fog <laughs> and the fog takes, it takes a minute, you know, to really gear up. And it's so sort of like fog. <laughs> so we did that. You know, and uh, turns out that Mark told me that they, they had more ad space and they cut my part of that shoot out, out of the magazine. Mark would do th maybe five complete shoots with someone like Drew Barrymore, you know, and he had very specific ideas, you know, about the feather shoot and uh, Michael Richards fish pants <laughs> did you like working with mark it was great it was great working with him he had asked me to uh, make a live grass suit for beck and uh so i went and uh i had only six days to grow this suit and um it looked great i got on a plane and there was this weird guy on the plane who um he was just acting very erratically and I, I i made sure that he didn't get near this grass suit and um but he ended up he was jonesing for a cigarette and he ended up actually lighting a cigarette on the plane and uh, <laughs> got arrested <laughs> so I get into LA and I go to the studio and um, Mark has this set, which is like sh sheep on a grass, like a sod thing that, that melded into a, a painted backdrop. And, uh, and like I said, he had like five different extraordinary scenarios sets for Beck to use. I'm in the dressing room with Beck and Mark and Beck says, uh, how long have you been doing this? And I said, six days. <laughs> he meant like, so yeah, like, 
25 years. And uh, so he, Beck did not want to wear the grass suit in the scenario that Mark had constructed, right? He wanted to wear it against a like graffitied wall that was in the studio and so ah, i was like damn and i told i told this guy who was uh part of mark's entourage you know that that beck wanted to wear it against a graffitied wall and it never got to mark you know and Mark kind of busted me on that later, but so I'm like, damn, <sighs> you know, all this trouble and he's not going to wear it. So I go to this pawn shop and I'm, you know, just trying to escape and look at guitars and not think about, you know, what's going on. And, and uh, so when I get back, Mark had put out a, a casting call and there was like 12 old men there and he said pick pick one of these old men and um i took the suit and i ripped the back of it so that this old man could wear it and he had the sheep there and um so this old man wore the grass suit with two sheep next to him <laughs> and <laughs> this stuff is all a gamble and it's if it's not perfect it's not going to fly, you know. Basically, he's shooting a movie, you know, and um, he always shoots extra stuff so that if it's not perfect, he's got something to back it up. But here's what happened. So I'm in the, I'm in the dressing room, and Beck is a, a rather diminutive person, and I see these little pair of pants on the floor, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to wrap up my stuff and I, I pick up the pants and, and there's a wallet in there and it's Beck's pants in his wallet. <laughs> so I had just seen him like they delivered like a brand new black sob to the set and he drove away in it. So I told his, I told his people like, here's Beck, here's Beck's pants in his wallet. <laughs> so he cut, he came back and got them. So pretty, she's also lazy. She is my vitamin E. She's never dull, really deep, y'all. She is my last call. It's so nice to 
girls wanna be It's so nice to see her All the girls wanna be My sweet pea, my so damn funny. She is my vitamin E. It's so nice to see her. All the girls wanna be. It's so nice to see her. All the girls wanna be. Okay, I would like to talk a little bit about moving to Williamsburg in September of 89, and it was desolate, and I miss Chicago every damn day, and I had 10 grand from a, from a job I did for uh, a renovation I did, and um, I was like a handyman, this guy, Bob Roth, who started the reader and all the free weeklies across the country he had a beautiful building at uh, 151 west burton place and this building was built in um with all of the things from the world's fair and uh, like so i did a big renovation there i was a general contractor and uh so i moved to new york city and yeah. I'm there in uh, Williamsburg, and it's it's desolate. You could not pay someone to come to a party from Manhattan in in Williamsburg. Now it's like more expensive than Soho. You know, it's crazy. But uh, so I started a relationship with this hardware store called Crest Crest Hardware, and. The owner, Manuel Franquina, and I became like fairly good friends. And so one day I, I had the idea like all these artists, um, I saw artists like using hardware in their artwork and they left the price tags from Crest on their hardware or on their artwork. And so I had the idea to do a show of these artists in the hardware store. And... Um, so Manny says, oh, okay, I'll give you the, the front window. You can put the artwork in the front window. So that first year, it was, uh, that was 1994, I believe. And uh, I kept saying like, oh, well, Manny, there's a lot more artists <laughs> in the show. And it turned out there was 125 different artists in the show 
that first year and it was their artwork was interspersed among the hardware so sometimes it was hard to tell the difference <laughs> and we had a map of the store and uh it it proved to be a really great success and um i'll say this people in general are very judgmental and uh it it's proven that you when you look at everything in your world you pass judgment on it just almost subconsciously and at the time i was very judgmental about art and um this show taught me like some artwork is not immediately the the substance of it the meaning of it the beauty of it is not immediately grasp you know so this show taught me how to be more you know there was six-year-old kids in this show and there was like famous artists there was a show at the time called city arts and they uh came out and did a piece on the crest hardware show and um i grew a grass suit for it and it was really good you know and so i developed a relationship with that show and uh later they did a show called egg the art show and they asked me to make an egg suit for it so i ended up making the suit i i would drill a little hole in the bottom and the top of each egg and blow out the yolk and the white and then put a string in there and and uh like a lightweight plaster you know and so the the suit ended up being 33 dozen chicken eggs <laughs> oh my god it was really crazy they had to hire a uh, uh a woman to help me because I was really under the gun. Her name was uh, Yante uh, Jackson. And uh, so we go down to Nashville and uh, this is a uh, Nash uh, public radio kind of fest. There's all these people there and I'm in this egg suit and there's two women in really cool like chicken suits. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness really crazy i've been uh i've had a lot of really amazing experiences you know and um uh, I, I was in a movie called uh searching for bobby fisher in my beer can suit just because i was in washington square park goofing off and uh, they shot footage of me and they ended up putting it in the movie. And I said, you got to pay me something. You know, I think they ended up paying me like 20 bucks. Yeah. And uh, so I, <laughs> I run into Joel Montaigne <laughs> on the street. <laughs> and uh, I said to him, I, I thought I really carried that film. <laughs> I was in it for like three seconds. <laughs> uh, another time, uh, I ran into Bill Murray. I was in my can suit on my unicycle. 
like on, at Broadway and uh, Hudson, and uh, we were talking. He had just got a uh, a unicycle for Christmas, so I was trying to give him pointers and stuff <laughs> about unicycle riding. And uh, have I told you about how I came to be a unicyclist? No, not yet. All right, so I'm going to tell you what happened. Um, I was very involved in, like, uh, I had stilts that were 16 feet tall, and I could only get get on them from a tree in my front yard. And um, so I was studying martial arts uh, from the age of 13 to 16, and uh, on the way to the studio uh i found this unicycle in the garbage and the bearings were shot on it so that the wheel would hit the forks you know when i rode it and that's how i learned to ride with crutches and uh on that stupid unicycle and so for years i would ride down the alleys uh to my karate class and um my master was a man named uh Young Jin Chung, and he had won a silver medal in the 1968 Olympics, and um, he was a uh, he was a great man, a really funny, great man, and I always tried to get over on him. You know, one time, um, he threw threw like a high kick. I got under it and pinned him against the wall. What did he do? He just slammed my back with his heel until I crumbled. <laughs> and so one time my mom had trouble paying for my lessons. And so um, I became his um, fall guy. So he would go around and do demonstrations. Uh, and uh, he taught me Hapkido, which is like a, it's a blend of karate and judo. It's more of a street fighting um uh, Thing. and so I was his fall guy <laughs> he did this thing where he would jump up in the air he'd wrap his legs around me and then throw me on the ground sometimes he'd throw me on my back sometimes he'd throw me on my face <laughs> but it was it was good fun <laughs> yeah so when I was in New York City uh, I was having back problems this is like many many years later and so I went to a guy that does the Alexander technique. And uh, he watched me walk and he's like, he taught me how to walk because I was walking in a very bad fashion for my back. You know, I was looking down thinking I'm going to find some money and stuff. And so um, I, I came out of his place and I walked by this bike shop and there was a, a Schwinn unicycle for sale. It was 125 bucks. And um, I'm like, no, 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 you're not buying that unicycle. And then I walked down the street. I'm like, I'm buying that unicycle. <laughs> I, I rode it literally into pieces within two weeks. It was inoperable i had just rode the shit out of it and rode it with my can suit you know and um so i got i i was getting a lot of press and i was in details magazine 
like on the subway in a in a uh grass suit like reading a paper that was a big thing you know and then there was this other uh other magazine i was in that that really i can't remember the name of it but they shot a, a woman chased me down one day on uh i was on the unicycle and in the can suit and she ch she chased me down and said let's do this shoot and so we did it like on the waterfront and it was me on a, a on standing on a refrigerator uh on the waterfront um and that gave me a lot of push and at some point you appeared in a natalie merchant video riding that unicycle yeah that was also a mark seliger thing he he was he shot it he was a director. We'd already been working together quite a bit, and he said, like, show up at this diner on the Upper West Side at 6 o'clock in the morning, bring your can suit. And uh, so we we ended up shooting in this, uh, like, um, wildlife preserve. You know, they had tigers and camels and all that stuff. And uh, so we go up there and... On the bus, there's a Korean twin contortionists, <laughs> okay? And there's all these clowns and, you know, I'm big circus guy already. And so we go up there and um, uh, Natalie Merchant comes up to me and I was like, hi, I'm, uh, I'm the can man. <laughs> and uh, she's like, I, I know who you are. And she was very nice, very gracious, and a powerful voice and inspiration for a lot of a lot of people. So we go about this shoot. Um, they give me a bald cap, and they make me up like a bald clown, and that's how I was for most of the shoot. Um, but at, at one point, she had this long flowing piece of cloth it was like 20 foot long and the wind was blowing and you know and then her boyfriend was a drummer in that shoot and uh i was riding a unicycle in a field and it was difficult you know <laughs> like lots of you know but i nailed it and uh i didn't much like the song you know and they they had asked me to memorize the lyrics i did not <laughs> So they were, they were shooting like me faking it, you know, basically. And and one of the guys on the shoot was like told Mark, that guy's got no rhythm at all. <laughs> they had everybody singing it. And I was like, I'm not learning this. This is stupid. You know, I'm stubborn. So um, I met this clown and he was a Ringling Brothers, uh, Barnum and Bailey clown and his his car they each each of the people in the show have a a railroad car and his railroad car caught fire so he was like kind of out of work for a while and um me and him were supposed to kind of make up some stuff with like a huge fake hammer you know and uh so <laughs> i was like <laughs> i was goofing off with this hammer and i like like hit myself in the head with it and then I fell back and I fell onto a metal stake. <laughs> so 
here's what happened. We are shooting this thing uh, like with a fake campfire. There's a camel. There's her. I'm in my bald clown costume. And there's, it's just like we're shooting it. And she uh, put her cheek on the top of my head and it stuck <laughs> it stuck her cheek stuck to my head and all like so she bends over and she and she puts her cheek on my head and then <laughs> it's like it's hard to get her cheek off my head just for a minute it wasn't like you know like it was really stuck or anything so Oh my goodness! Here's what happens. Like Mark calls me and he says, uh, "Come over. We're we're editing this video, and we want to see what you think." So uh, I go over to this studio and uh, they show me the the video, and they had a lot of food, and it was fun, and uh, I thought it was really good. I thought he did a great job, and. He, she didn't use his cut. She cut her own. She cut her own version of the video. She did not use his cut. She made her own video from his footage. Do you like that version? No, it's a great video. Like when when people hear that I'm in a Natalie Merchant video, they're like, "What? Are you kidding me?" <laughs> so you wore the can suit to promote the cause of recycling in New York City, right? There was no recycling in New York City at this point. There was only curbside community recycling. So uh, at that point, I made a hat for the can suit. And um, I would go to these different recycling centers. <laughs> I would lay on the ground like next to the can recycling. And then people would come up and I'd like shake. <laughs> It was silly. It was really silly. But I wore that suit probably about three times a week. I would just I would just go out, take the L train into Manhattan, uh, get off at uh, 14th Street, and then I'd ride down to Tribeca, and people people loved it. So one time I'm supposed to go to City Hall and do some kind of environmental thing. And uh, I was really tired. And so I'm sitting on the, the L train, like the N and the R. And, um, you know, like everybody knows me as Can Man. So I'm sitting there and people across the platform are like, hey, Can Man, what are you doing? You know, like, so I would do this thing where I'd, I'd ride the unicycle on this, on the platform, you know, and I, I wasn't much feeling it that day, but I'm like, okay. So I jump up, I'm riding the unicycle in the can suit on the platform and, uh, the cops come and, uh, they, they're like, they weren't happy. And, I, and I'm like, dang it. I'm on the way to City Hall, and <laughs> so the cop is like, um, uh, show me that you, uh, take that can suit off, you know, like, show me, and I'm like, no, this is my artwork, 
you can't make me take my artwork off. And he's he kept insisting. So he's like, so I took the hat off, right? And then he's like, uh, unzip it and show me that uh, you don't have any weapons. And people use cans as a weapon, you know, like they cut them in half. And um, so finally he he gets me to like unzip it and it, it, and I basically take it off, but it's still around my uh, ankles, right? <laughs> so <laughs> then we go to the police station and I'm dragging the can suit like, like that. You know, I've been arrested a number of times and it's it's not that fun. <laughs> Was the can suit constructed similarly to the egg suit where you had to uh, string each individual can? I, I put a wire in in each can and then I use like a hundred pound test fishing line uh, and I sew it through there and then every knot I have to put a dot of super glue on it. The The can suit weighed about 35 pounds and there was maybe 200 cans on there one time I put so many cans on it I couldn't I couldn't move (laughs) all right um this has been the second gene pool episode I'm here with Andy Miles and he's been orchestrating this uh amazing journey (laughs) through my wicked past (laughs) and uh thank you for tuning in i really like that that sounds great we should start a band awesome i really like that let's play another song awesome that sounds great awesome let's play another song goodbye